Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. You are in for another absolute treat on this episode. Um, it's a little bit strange at the minute. I'm getting the sense of autumn in the air. Uh, we're towards the end of summer when we should be thinking about still uh, big white venues and, and you know the fish having that little bit of a munch before the autumn comes. But there's definitely a chill in the air. But there's no chill in the air on this podcast. In fact, in the big chair for the big chat, we've got Darren Bickerton. And Darren, as many of you will know, is a captain of the Magnificent Starlets team and also is a coach for the England team, uh, beginning his coaching career on the international stage um, around 2016 when he took control of the uh, the Dutch side for the International Fisher Mania. And Darren tells us all about that and how that then led onto coaching and essentially working alongside all the management of the international team with the under-23s at the time, and now developing, ready for his jaunt over to Italy for the 2021 World Championship and the senior side. So uh, Darren has a fascinating story of how he he, uh, he developed his fishing career and how he's now into that captaincy role, management role, if you like, assistant manager, coaching. So a really, really interesting chat with Darren. It was brilliant, really was. Um, of course, we've got the press pack where we'll look at um, the monthly magazines, those that are available to me, of course, uh, the weekly magazines, so Angling Times and social media. There's been loads of stuff um, that I've picked up on as I've been scanning around um, on the social media side of things as well. So we'll look into that. Tackle Shed, as always, um, I'll cast my eye over anything that has, uh, has caught it and um, see if there's any useful bargains that you might want to pick up as well. So without further ado, let's get cracking with... The press pack. Okay, let's take a look then in the press pack. This is the part of the show where we get to look at the printed press and we also have a little look at social media and see what's been going on in the world of usually match fishing. But if there's any standout catches that I've seen in the papers or online, uh, I'll point them out as well. But to be honest, on this episode, it is pretty much match fishing because we've had some big events. So the first thing I want to cover off, I think, is the World Feeder Championships, which happened uh, a week or so ago. Um, we do talk about this in the big chat with Darren Bickerson as well, and he'll give his thoughts on international fishing abroad and, and, and what it takes to compete. And what's happened really with the, the England feeder team is that they were given the all clear to travel to France uh, pretty much about two or three days before practice was due to begin. 
And that was due to a change in the COVID regulations allowing the team to go over. But what that did mean, of course, was that it did impact on the preparation side. Not that I'm sure that the lads didn't have all the gear ready just in case, but mentally, as well as, you know, the, the physical preparation. To cut a long story short, for those of you that don't know, the team finished seventh out of 15, uh, way, way, way off the pace. I think on day one, we're looking at something like um, 31 points. Uh, day two, 37 points. So the Belgians that won, uh, just to put that into context, had 36 points over the two days. So, you know, England were way off the pace. And, and according to team manager Dean Barlow, he doesn't believe that the, the techniques and tackle uh, were wrong, but the feeding. And again, I asked Darren in the big chat, which you'll hear shortly, around the continental knowledge and nous. And he gives some interesting thoughts on how he approaches um, his ground bait mixes and how he looks at preparing and, and making sure that he's got consistent um, components into the mix as well. But uh, I'm quoting here as well in the Angling Times this week, but uh, team manager Dean Ball is incredibly honest. He says, we've got 12 months to prepare for the 2022 event in Ukraine and I'm going all out to set up events or matches against the likes of France, Belgium and Holland simply to give us the experience of fishing abroad and seeing the baits and feeding that they use. It's no use to keep fishing the likes of Bast and Lakes every weekend as we'll learn nothing. What he's saying is these big natural waters on the continent are nothing like what we've got here. And we need more events um, that enable the guys to, to compete with these European nations. So really interesting, really honest. But what I did find pretty, actually, I wasn't that shocked, to be fair. But, you know, again, it's it's this, um, what I was bemused about was the the negativity online there was a lot of comments um to the feeder anglers that you know they weren't performing um should have done this should have done that who these people are that are making these comments i'm not sure just genuinely don't understand it it's not as if the guys didn't try it's not as if they um you know didn't give their all the preparation wasn't great and they've held their hands up and said look you know we wasn't good enough well what more can you ask you know they've got to improve but to carry on online with the negativity, it's a little bit like on the last show when, you know, uh, with Lee Wright a couple of episodes ago, um, and I highlighted the negativity towards the Fishermania final, which we then discussed personally with Harry on the last show. So I just don't get it. I really don't. And it's just, I guess it's the world that we live in. Um, and I guess it swings and roundabouts because social media allows, you know, uh, the little people like myself to put something like this together for you guys but at the same time it also gives a platform for those that are possibly um you know a little bit more outspoken online than they would be face to face so yeah real shame for the england feeder team but uh onwards and upwards i say now another big event of course that's taken place recently was the division one national um and that took place on the grand union canal and a great example of the little guys beating the big guys david and goliath if you like census devises devises being a, a relatively small town down in wiltshire um toppled a lot they came out on top on the grand union can have a really good score it was a, it was a close top five or six actually but um overall they're 301 points 
and that was more than enough to beat um, Barnsley, the famous Barnsley Blacks, into second place with 286. Really close behind then, just two, two points with Starlets, Darren's team, um, and then a local team of mine from my days back in Manchester, Tricast Rochdale, and fantastic on 283 points in fourth place. And then the famous, uh, as they're known now, the Cadence super team or it used to be the old Shakespeare super team were in fifth with 283 points as well but on a slightly less weight advantage so really tight at the top for the top five spots um it's good to see it's good to see a, a lesser known team you know coming out on top and I guess the one thing we want to see then is that um by winning the division one you normally get to fish the world club championships the following year I hope they get the backing and support of their sponsors or you know some finances to get across and represent England in that so yeah well done to the census devices uh, match group so they are the two big um, events recently I guess that with the the division one national and the England team going abroad uh, we have got the England if you want to call them the float fishing team now the, the the traditional team if you want to call them that as well those guys are going out next Wednesday and that's Wednesday the 1st of September um, over to Italy and I talked to Darren about that in the press pack as well so you can have a listen to how the guys go about preparing for that. Um, it's a interesting squad this year. It's a mixture of experience and youth, which is great. And it gives us a good chance to, to give some of the lads a, another chance of, uh, of global action. So that's brilliant as well. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, going through this week's Angling Times, there's, there's, there's some good catches. The standard barbell, there's some big perch, nice roach, etc. Uh, there's a focus on the uh, new series of White House and Mortimer, Ghost Fishing, which is great. It's won awards. It's I'm sure it's attracted countless new people into the sport, which is what we want. And, of course, it does highlight that, you know, fishing isn't always about catching fish in some respects. So, uh, yeah, and it gives a synopsis of where... Um, they are each episode. It's good. They go from the Hebrides right the way through to um, my neck of the woods, Burley House, um, Lake District, Norfolk Broads, um, Wales, and also they go fishing for Xander on the Seven. So that's the, the series. Uh, one thing, actually, speaking of TV programs, I did pick up on, I've started watching, um, it was on Channel 5, Celebrities Go Fishing, uh, something along those lines. And essentially it's the likes of it kicks off with uh, Ian Botham, Linford Christie, Les Dennis, Fern Britton, and Rosemary Schrager. And at first I thought, I don't know what, how this is going to go, how this is going to end. Is it going to end well? And actually there was a comedy value because Les Dennis is a is a disaster on the bank. He falls in and his life jacket blows up and all sorts of bits and pieces. So there's a comedy element there. There's obviously an educational piece. It talks about the area of the fishing. It's all based in Scotland, um, starting across on the East Coast, moving west. And it's actually really interesting. Although, again, they're not catching many fish. They're definitely promoting the sport. Um, they're talking about that solitude. They're talking about the the addiction of fishing, uh, being at one with nature, uh, and, and all the things that we love um, uh, going fishing. And of course, to get a celebrity who you might not necessarily put down as an angler. I mean, Ian Botham's fished many times, but uh, the rest of the guys uh, promoting the benefits of fishing. It's got to be good for the sport as always. Okay, onto the magazines. Couple of standout features um, into this month's Improve Your Course Fishing. So that is episode 380. Um, lots and lots of good stuff as always. I've mentioned in the past that I'm always impressed with Improve Your Course Fishing. It's not really, it's not what you think it'd be. If you are a match angler and you turn your nose up 
um, at Improve Your Course Fishing. I promise you, you will learn something. Uh, but it was two two simple articles, page 51. Um, have a crack at a canal right now. And, and when I read this, as always, when I read canal articles and features, it always takes me back to being a kid where I started fishing on a local canal. Um, it's not somewhere I'd certainly fish nowadays. Definitely a bit rough and ready. But there are many, many miles of, you know, unspoilt canals and waterways. Um, lots of fish holding stretches, that is for sure. Um and it just reminded me there's an underwater scene pointing out the near side tracks, uh, sorry, near side shelf, the central tracks, the far shelf, how to approach, when to switch swims. And it's just a double pager. And it just reminded me of, yeah, you know, why not? Uh, after seeing this, it's given me a little bit of a kick up the backside. And I really do want to approach some of the canals in this area, or at least the drains. You know, I'm surrounded by drains. They're fishing well. A lot of them wind through various little towns and villages. And you wouldn't necessarily think they had got fish in there, but I know they have. And, and reading this canal piece has just given me that. It's wet my whistle, shall we say. Uh, and then the next page over is called The Rig That Never Tangles, our good old mate Nick Speed. He is on Dam Flask Reservoir. And if you cast your minds back, uh, regular listeners, to the Nick Speed uh, podcast where he sits in the big chair, um, he talks about how he began fishing and, and Dam Flask Reservoir was one of those places that holds many memories. And he says a similar thing in this. But what he does do is he highlights... Um, an open end feeder tactic essentially with a boom and a little trick with some silicon that stops that rig spinning and of course tangling in up to 25 feet of water so it's well worth a read for that if you are uh, you know getting back into your open water feeder fishing or you're you know you fancy having a little bit of a dabble but you're not too sure how to approach these big open waters this is something that's definitely worth a read um he talks about shock leaders and using braid not something i've ever done in my life so i'd have to take a step back and and work out you know how would i do that but he puts it all as always as nick always does he puts it in a logical manner and it of course tony has, has written it up uh, perfectly as well so that's well worth the read that's improve your course fishing over to match fishing this month or the august edition the one with jamie hughes on the front i'm, I'm not going to go into this as always there's loads of good content loads of thought-provoking articles match fishing can be a little bit samey and i'm not ashamed or afraid to say that to be honest there are a lot of features month on month where things are very very similar to it's just a different person saying it so when an article or a feature comes along that really captures my imagination i sit up and notice and i really read it intently and this is a classic one our good old friend at darren cox and he's on page 54 it's called i predict a riot that's the name of the feature which is perfect for this example and he's fishing a pole in a weir pool for big fish and there is an absolutely stunning shot. Um, I remember he posted it on social media as well. Page 56, an 11 pound, eight ounce barbel caught on the pole. Um, and he's, the way that um, the photographer's taken that picture is simply stunning. It really is. But it's just a, a something different. It's out of the norm. It's something you wouldn't necessarily imagine doing. I certainly wouldn't think about fishing a pole in a weir pool for fish of that stamp. But that's the whole point of the article. Um, and it's interesting that it is in match fishing because I'm not too sure there are many pegs 
uh, on river matches that you'd have the chance to, to fish a pole like that. But that's that's the thought-provoking side of it. So well done for that article. I really enjoyed it. Darren's got a cracking net of fish. There's sort of half a dozen barbel and chub there, topped off with that big double-figure fish. So superb. I love that. And that was great. Um, one more article, a few pages in, 66, paste fishing. Um, I'm a big fan. It's something that I love to do in the summertime. I've probably not done it as much as I normally would this summer because I've been mixing it up a little bit on rivers and stuff. Um, but commercial-wise, certainly, from depending on the water temperature, but in general, anything above 16 degrees or so, pace will begin to work. And this is uh, Sean Cameron is on Holcroft, which we know is a, a real tricky commercial anyway. And he fishes it different to me. Everybody has their own way of, of doing that. Um, but there's a few tips and tricks in here. Again, it's a similar way to how I've described pace fishing is to not be afraid of it. It's a really simple tactic. There's a few tips and tricks in here that he offers up that are quite interesting in terms of utilising um, the juice from a can of hemp to, to make your paste. Putting hemp into your, pressing it into the paste uh, so it stays on the bottom, uh, you know, and avoids any fish um taking on the drop so again lots of thought-provoking um, pieces in there uh, take a look at that also okay so um, we've covered there a couple of articles that caught my eye in uh, the printed press and of course we've discussed um, the England feeder team as well so let's delve a little bit further and have a chat with Darren Bickerton and, and ask him about that England feeder team and ask him what it's all about being involved with the England setup so let's begin with the big chat Teddy Fisher Baits specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of baits. Hello and welcome to The Big Chat. And on this episode, we have got the captain of Legendary Starlets team and also the assistant manager and coach for the England team. What this guy doesn't know about fishing could be written on the back of a postage stamp. We've got none other than Mr. Darren Bickerton. How are you, sir? I'm okay, thank you. It's lovely to speak to you. No, no, the pleasure's all mine, Darren. Absolutely, thanks for joining me. Um, it was a chance encounter, really, from you and I when I asked you to join us on the podcast when we were due next to each other on the on the wonderful River Store not too long ago, and uh, I think ended up last on the match. So it was uh, <laughs> it was one of those one of those days for me. And and uh, no, I'm glad that you you know you can take the time out. I know you're a busy man, and we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail later on because uh, I know you're heading off with the England squad soon as well, so we can chat about that later on. But before we get cracking, um, we do have a bit of a theme to these big chats, to the, to the podcast. Uh, we have a past, present and future sort of, um, I, I guess, conversation piece to give us a bit of a flow. So before we get stuck into these England escapades that you're going to be going off shortly and, and how you're involved with that international setup, how did the fishing start for you, Darren? How did you get into it? Was it out with your dad or with your mates or was it just something you fell into? Yeah, my dad was always a big fisherman. He used to be uh, he used to be the captain of the Derby Angling Association national team. 
Wow. Uh, and and he also ran a, a club from Rolls Royce where he worked. And where yeah. I still work, it was called TriStar Angling Club. I used to go on uh, a lot of the club matches with them. Uh, you know, when I was ooh, maybe uh, 10, 11, something like that. Uh, yeah. But I did, I did fish with him before then when I was maybe six, seven, something like that. We always used to go on holiday to the Norfolk Broads and we used to stop on a chalet on the banks uh, at Potter Iron on the banks of the Fern or the Bure. I don't even yeah. know what river it is. Uh, we used to catch some eels and <laughs> and that was it really. That's how, that's how I started, you know, with uh, club fishing. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's probably my favourite section of, of all my podcast is that we we tend to start in this in this format like i say and it's always interesting how some of these you know these what we call top or elite anglers whatever we want to we want to categorize people in is how they all had different upbringings and and you know the way to get into it but i guess the common denominator is always a dad or an uncle or a, a friend of the family and it's really interesting but and then in the club scene um what was it junior matches first and then intermediates and adults or was you just straight in the deep end with the with the adults oh no no well uh, with, with the club match it were uh, the club scene it was just the adults uh, there was probably a couple of us younger ones you know family members that used to go in, in them days, it was coach trips. You know, we yeah. go on like the River Welland, the River Witham, the the, the Grey Twos. You know, all, all all these trips, swing tipping for Bream. Yeah. You know, and I and I live in Derby on the you know the banks of the like Upper Trent and the River Derwent. You know, the, we we didn't used to fish so much in matches, but a lot a lot of pleasure fishing, and there was a big junior scene as well uh, in Derby. Yeah, you know we used to fish the national championships uh, all over. Uh, the local clubs used to run junior matches. We used to have uh, weekend leagues, evening leagues. Uh, you know the local clubs at the time were like the Derby Angling Association and the Earl of Allington Angling Club, who won the Derwent. And, and there, there was matches for juniors and encouragement and coaching you know, to, to to make us better and improve us. And was that something that your dad was instrumental in with running the club? Was he one for promoting juniors through and trying to get youngsters involved? Oh, yes. Uh, my dad actually was... Uh, he used to run the Derby Angling Association match section for juniors and intermediates. Okay. Even when I was maybe in my mid-twenties, uh, my brother, he's 10 years younger than me, he, used, he, he was still fishing when my dad was coaching mm. uh, and my dad was coaching when he was uh, oh, he'd left the junior scene yeah 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 no it's interesting and the reason why I ask is because obviously when we start talking a little bit about the international side of things is your foray into that was with the youth team so obviously uh, go, going back to when you was a youngster and that development piece it, it just shows how important that is that you get that, that grounding I guess so um do you remember your first um, match win as a junior? Yes, I do, actually. It was actually a, a club match uh, with the TriStar Angling Club on uh, the River Trent at Trent Lock. Okay. Uh, it, it, it was late in the year, maybe in October time, and the river was up, maybe yeah. carrying two feet of water. 
And I remember I, I caught a bream, uh, £2.7 ounce it was at the bream, and I had a few bleak, and I weighed £2.9 ounce in total. <laughs> uh, and I was like laying on with maggots, you know, in about 10 foot of water. And to, to be fair, in them days, uh, a two and a half pound ream was a good fish on the River Trent. You know, uh, there's lots of them. Lots of them now. now yeah. the river, but, but in them days, we, we didn't catch so many. It was, you know, it was mainly roach and chub and, and dace. So I, I can it, always remember that ream. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think then, um, you know, when we go back a little bit, I imagine the river was probably a bit more coloured with a bit of, not quite as clean as it is nowadays. So you'd think the bream would thrive, wouldn't you? Well, you would. All the, all the rivers were coloured in them days. And yeah. at, the end, at the end of a match, you, you, you know, you'd have all the sediment on your nets. Mm. You used to have to wash your nets off. You know, yeah. even if, if you couldn't really see it. But, but your net was covered at the end of the day. You know, and it, it all changed in the 90s with the Clean Rivers campaign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And rivers got hard then when, when, it, when it was very clear. Uh, but nowadays they're making a big comeback, better what, than ever, I think. I, I think so as well. What would you say is your favourite river? Oh, well, I, I would always say the River Derwent, to be honest. Uh, I don't fish so many matches on it. But if, if, uh, if I ever went uh, pleasure fishing... It would be the River Derwent. Uh, it's a magnificent venue. Uh, the stretch I use is run by the Earl of Arrington Angling Club. But there's a specimen fish. There's like ten pound bream, four pound chub, uh, four pound perch. I mean, six pound chub, fifteen pound barbel, <laughs> lots of carp and big trout, five, six, seven pounds. You know, and it's and not it, a water magnificent. Mm. Oh, well, uh, they've got their own website if you want to ever have a look at it. I'll have a little look, Earl of Arrington Angling, yeah, it's never. It's yeah, just one yeah. of those few things. I think the Derwent and the Dove are two waters yeah. that have always been on the bucket list, but I've never never forayed over. Yeah, well, the, River Dove, the River Dove is very local to me, and yeah. I have never, ever fished it. Is that right? Which is amazing, yeah. And I drive over it regular, but I've never actually wet a line on it. Oh, you're gonna to have to break that um, that duck at some point. I think that sounds fab. With so with the rivers and obviously the naturals um, coming through on these these junior ranks with Derby and and moving through intermediates and whatnot. And um, do you remember fishing any junior nationals? Oh yes, yeah, junior and intermediate nationals. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember many venues. I remember us winning. I was going to say any success. Football. A couple mm. of uh, intermediate nationals, for sure. Yeah, yeah I think... Uh, I, I really don't, I can't remember the venue. Oh, a local one, the Trenton Mersey Canal. Yeah, good venue. Perfect. Good, great venue for, uh, for, uh, for that size of match as well. You know, we're coming through with the juniors and the intermediates, and, and where I'm leading with this really is team fishing. Okay? Because yeah. when we talk about starlets, and we, I said this to Lee on one of the previous podcasts and when we spoke about the three big clubs we talk about Barnsley we talk about Dorking and we talk about Starlets so how did we end up in Starlets how did we make our way from a junior to an intermediate with Derby and 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 this I suppose East Midlands to to Starlets which are more of a West Midlands club Team. Yeah, well, when I first started in team fishing, you know, we used to have local leagues and uh, I used to fish with uh, 
we used to have a team called Team Roachpole, which was uh, <laughs> a <lake>. good name. <laughs> uh, it, that was the name of the local angling store, Roachpole eighty-two. But I used to fish with good anglers. Uh, Sean Ashby, he was in my team. Uh, Nathan News, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's Cameron News's father. Yeah. You know, and uh, Mark Warren, who's uh, a really good angler, and Jonathan Kiley. And then we went to Derby Angling Association. Uh, you know, we used to fish nationals with them and super leagues, winter leagues. Uh, we had some success. And this is in what oh, must be the the eight, the 80s, the mid to late 80s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I joined Trentman in... 1991, I think it was, uh, because we used to fish against Trent men in all the winter, uh, Super Leagues, and Sundridge used to run them in them days, teams of eight. Uh, and it, and it, it was an honour to join Trent men. Yeah, very good team. Uh, and uh, the first year I was with them, to be honest, we did win the Trent National. Ted Stokes was the team captain. Steve Clark, he was uh, the vice captain. Who, who later moved on to the captain uh, till about ooh, mid, I can't remember, uh, what year of, did I say I joined, 1992. Yeah. And I think I took over the captaincy in about 95, 96. Okay. Uh, and the, 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 fir- the first year that I was captain, we actually won the Winter League final on the Trentham Bankman. Uh, ah yes, which was a, bit, a big achievement. I mean, it's our local river. You know, so this was ninety-five. You say? I think yeah. it was ninety-six or ninety-seven. So I seem to remember we had a team up north, the Saints, that did very, yeah, very well yeah. around that time on the Trent Embankment as well. So I think it might have been around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we used to know a lot of the Saints anglers and the Ifield anglers. Because we right. used to. We often used to fish on the Bridgewater Canal against them, you know, in uh, yeah. in Manchester on like Winter League semi-finals, you know, and we, we used to enjoy quite a bit of success on there as a team, Trent. Man. That's interesting. So that captaincy piece, how did that come around? Well, well uh, the the captain at the time he was like lo- losing a bit of interest, and uh, and and to be honest, I think I think there was no one else to take it on. And I have been the captain of the Derby AA team, mm. you know, so it, it was just natural progression, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed my time with Trentman uh, as being captain. Yeah. You know, it was... Uh, Good success. It was, it was. We, we won uh, quite a few national medals as well. Uh, so we, we started as Trentman in Division 5 and we progressed to Division 1 in, in five years. You know, because we're quite uh, promoted every year. And we won two or three. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, we won a Trent National as well. And, and what's it, what's it, how does it come with... you got pressure there. Like you say, it's your own water in some respects. How, yeah. how do you cope with the pressure with that? Do you put a lot of practice in? Or do you all... Do you leave the anglers to, to sort of use the... You know, give them a little... How does that work? Well, to be honest with pressure, I mean, I thrive on pressure. I love it. And... Uh, you know, but with team matches, you do have to practice, and the, the more effort you put in, the more the more reward that you will get. Yeah. You know, it it doesn't it doesn't come easy. 
you know, and for, for some teams it does come easier than others. But no matter how big you are, you you, you must put the time in, you know, yeah. and, and prepare. You know, pre- preparation is a re- really big thing. Uh, e- even now for me, you know, yeah. I do a lot of preparing, you know, when I'm not actually fishing. Of course, yeah, making sure you've got everything everything covered. You're not just going to expect your anglers to turn up and, and sort of smash it on the day on a river that has moods as well as, much oh. as, great, as, as great as the trend is it's, it can be moody uh you know weather conditions change on the day everything can be different all the pressure so that's great so, so from that trentman piece um good success you know yeah. consecutive promotions couple of national wins the starlets then come and knocking or does it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was asked to join starlets it, it, it was difficult for me, you know, because I'd been with Trentman for such a long time. Uh, but uh, there was a, a Trent National coming up when I joined Starlets. So I thought, I thought, yeah, why not? You know, if you want to improve, you know, and I was like nearly 40 then as well in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I did join and, and we, we uh, trained hard for that year's Trent National. And we actually won that as well, you know. So, so I got three ten national winners. I was going to say, three, um, three gold medals with <laughs> three different teams. Tell you what, that's some going. That is that. Would anybody else have something like that? I don't know. To be honest, uh, 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 I don't really keep a lot of records or anything, you know. But yeah, yeah I suppose that is a proud thing, isn't it? With, I think so. Winning any national is a, a big thing. What What about individually? Have you ever had the? Have you ever been on a national where you've had the green light where the captain or well, yourself, when you've been looking after a team, you've you've drawn somewhere where you can you can win it individually? Uh, well, in, in team fishing, for me, the team is always the most important thing. You know, yeah. whether it's. Uh, you know your local club team and or starlets or or even international fishing. The team is the most important. I did actually once win my section and come four four fifth individual on the national mm-hmm. uh, on the Trenton Mersey Canal uh, when I was fishing for Derby AA. That right. was in about nineteen ninety. You know, yeah. I, I think I had about five or six kilo of chub or something like that. Nice. On a, on a canal, lovely. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I ask you this is, and we'll get a little bit, um, we'll debate a little bit here now as well, is some people would say that, you know, team fishing is, is a dying part of the sport or is that it's, you know, it's not as popular as it used to be. And I don't agree with that personally. And, and the numbers by the Angling Trust given recently explain, you know, they're thinking of opening up Division 3 again. Um, I know we had six uh, divisions at one point, and then obviously we're down to two now. But um, and the only reason why I know that is because the only national I ever fished when I was a kid was Division Six. So that's how I know it was a long time ago. Thinking of now expanding out to three. So for, you know, team fishing is buying back. It's just maybe in a slightly different manner. Perhaps we haven't got those big ten, ten and twelve man team events we used to have. But there's lots of little four man competitions, six man, eight man little sort of um, leagues here, there and everywhere. So I, I think it is buoyant, but I'm thinking that perhaps these big money commercial events, like your Fisher Manias, like your Match This, 
to some extent Riverfest as well. Is is that perhaps detracting the attention away from team fishing? What would you say? Well, what what, what you've got to remember when like the national championships first started, there was only one match, the All England. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so everyone wanted to fish that before yep. they went down in the divisions. But now you've you've got, you know, your float fishing nationals or any method nationals. You've got the feeder fishing national championship. You've got a commercial national championship. Mm -hmm. You've still got the juniors, the ladies, the, uh, I think it's called the veterans Veterans, national. So there is a lot of national championships and probably there's more people that actually fish a national now than than ever. But I, I don't know the numbers. But yes, there is a lot of other things now that people concentrate on. There's fishing mania, there's river fest, there's local leagues, and there is so many commercial fisheries now. Yeah. You know, years ago, 20, 30 years ago, there'd be a match where there might be 100 people on it, on the River Trent or, or on the canal. Mm-hmm. But, but there, there's, there's them 100 people that split over, say, 10 venues with another 100 people. You know, there's probably more anglers match fishing uh, on a lot of different venues, yeah. doing a lot of different styles. Feeder fishing is really big now as well. Yeah. You know, and, and you've got your commercials. And river fishing is really coming back. You know, natural water fishing these last few years. People absolutely love it. I agree. You know, uh, some, some people have probably, you know, fell out with commercials. I mean, I love commercials. I fish. I fish commercials all winter, but mainly on silverfish competitions, and that is getting really big. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's just so much variety now. There's so many different venues, and there's a lot of anglers out there. You know, that's all, all split up into different venues. You know, and and like you can't knock people who want want to fish rivers or just want to fish commercials or just want to fish for carp. Whatever you enjoy, that is the main thing. And that's why we do go match fishing, because we enjoy it. I agree. And I think that's all it is. I think it's just that the sport has fragmented. I don't think there's any detraction away from the numbers. I don't think team fishing is in decline. It's just in a different format. Um, And as you rightly say, the emergence of feeder fishing which is massive um, on some of these you know feeder master qualifiers and, and whatnot they're 60 70 peggers it, it, it's just that there's different things the only problem is for somebody like me who likes a bit of a dabble on everything i'm a bit of a you know jack of all trades and definitely a master of none is that i end up with a you know a shed full of gear for here then everywhere and on the, on the day, I always forget something because, um, you know, I, I kept it in my bag from the last time we were on a river or, you know, I didn't pick it up from my commercial kit or whatever. But th- that's great. The variety is brilliant. And it's now, obviously, yourself, you, you know, you, although you just said commercials in winter and whatnot, you would say you are a, a natural angler, if you like, which um, gives way to these great things like your starlets and, and the like because nationals are apart from the commercial one on on natural venues so what would you say your preference is still water running water canals drains ah do do you know i love everything you know i I do like rivers uh and i do like canals and i i I like i like the still waters in the winter but Mm. but what what you must remember is like uh, oh until probably 
two when from the advent of commercials, I loved mm. it. I loved carp fishing. I'd go carp fishing every week on commercial matches. You know, float fishing for them, waggler fishing, method feeder fishing. I used to go to Cudmore every Saturday and Sunday uh, if I hadn't got a team match for possibly mm. ten years. So I when was this, this sort of mid-90s through to mid noughties sort of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, before yeah. before the mid-90s, early 90s. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I used to, I used to go to Cudmore, we used to chase camasan points, you know. Of course, You yeah. used to have 20 points for final, it, yeah. uh, to get to the final, you know, and I, I did that quite a few times. It spread all over the country. Uh, they had one at Moreland's Farm that I fished, uh, They've had a few at Gold Valley. Uh, I did actually win both of them. Uh, we've had them on the River Trent uh, as well. All over River Avon, to be honest, at Twyford Farm. It yeah. weren't just on commercial venues, the final was. You know, but I really used to enjoy uh, chasing Camerson points. You know, so was, did you go to? Was you going to Cudmore because you knew you was guaranteed the fifty attendances or the fifty peggers, or was you going because you enjoyed the venue? Both, yeah, both. Uh, we always used to get between, in them days. You know, you used to get fifty to eighty at Cudmore, but then I'd go on a Super League match maybe the next day. You know, and we'd have eighty anglers, or then I'd be on a Winter League and we'd have a hundred plus anglers. You know, and then you'd have the practice matches for your Super Leagues and your Winter Leagues, and there'd be 80 or 100 anglers. But I just used to love going to Cudmore. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, but I've not been there since when they used to have the international Fisher Mania matches. That's right. You know, yeah. and I, I used to be the coach for the Dutch team, believe it or not. Is that right? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, but there, but we, nah, that's how I started, I suppose, with my international coaching uh, for the uh, Dutch national team. Yeah, uh, before I ever started doing it for the England team, I suppose change. Well, how how did they adapt? Because when I think of Holland, I don't, I, you know, I think of those big rivers with big bream and and big roach and whatnot. Not fishing a commercial. So, how did they yeah. adapt? Very, very, it was it was very different for them when they came over here. To be honest, uh, yeah, it's it's different in Holland. Uh, there's a lot of commercials. They're growing at a quick rate, uh, and they, they've got a lot of anglers that only fish commercials. Right. Uh, but when when we used to fish these international matches, uh, how long ago was it? Now seven, eight, nine years ago. Uh, they didn't have so many commercials, so they needed a coach uh, to teach them. And I was obviously, obviously good friends with Jan Lanskendal, and he asked if I'd uh, help him with the coaching. Mm. Uh, and a couple of times we, we, we were on the podium. I think I think we came second uh, twice as, uh, as a team. Can't, you can't argue with that. I take it was England were the winners. A chance, yeah, it's always, always. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've got so many good anglers. You see, people like Alan Scott or Will Ray's and Bishop, Steve yeah. Gray, you know, they are, they're, they're, they're really good no matter what venue they're on. You know, and when you get a, a day or two's practice, you, you soon learn, you soon learn. But, but the Dutch team were very, very good, very good. Fantastic! I didn't realise that. I didn't realise you'd spent so long on on that that um, that commercial scene, at, at chasing those Camazan points. So, so, what happened then? Was it when that competition disbanded that you decided to 
no, to focus not, a bit more not, on not battles? particularly. Uh, I uh, I think I was still with Trent men when uh, I, I saw I, I virtually stopped overnight going to commercials because every Saturday or Sunday I mm. sort of got a big match on a river or a canal. Ah. And you know when you're like doing it for six months and you don't even think, oh, I'll go back to Cudmore. Mm. You know, you just think, oh, when's the next river match or when's the next canal match? And there were big matches, 80 pegs, 100 pegs. Yeah. And it was every Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And then like, oh, I don't know, within the last 10 years, you know, in the winter, we have all the silverfish matches on commercials. And I thought, I'll, I'll give this a go. Mm. And, I, and I did quite well. I uh, had some success, and uh, a lot of them were quite local for me. And, and I started to enjoy that, you know, not the travelling. Because when I was younger, I used to go all the, the well and the Witham, the Thames, the Neen, you know, every Saturday and Sunday, like Gold Valley and places, and yeah. even the Huntsville and that, and long distance yeah. lives. And then all of a sudden, I've got matches on my doorstep. And that's why I like the River Sauna. No, I'm ever so local to it, you know. And we we have our winter leagues on there. We have well, you fish where we're next year. Yeah, it's lovely. Before. Yeah, it's a lovely you know, water, and, it really is. And they've got another teams of eight on it this year, as well as the teams of ten winter league. And I'm thinking, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. And then like, I, I, I just stopped going to commercials, uh, but I'd still, I'd still love to go back and have a go, you know. Well, I've seen you. Uh, I've seen you at this birch house near you. You know, you've been posting there on social media with these you know, forty pounder skimmers and the, these matches. Well, lovely stuff. Yeah, thirty something pounds my best weight, but I normally get like twenty seven, twenty eight pounds. Nice days. You know, I, I think I've been third, in, uh, second in the last three batches, and mm. but. I didn't. I'd never seen the venue until this summer, yeah. <laughs> and and that's my uh, local venue for <laughs> you know, only <laughs> five or six miles. Yeah, uh, and there's a local angler. His name's Gary Rogers. He he uh, runs a lot of matches now on the Trent and this Burchass, and you know he, he lives in Burton on Trent. Well, he's from from the Burton Mutual Angling Association, and he's getting their match scene started again for local yeah. anglers, and it's thriving. Yeah. Brilliant. There's a lot of people doing it, and I, and it's 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 just something I enjoy, you know. A Tuesday batch on a on a local venue, yeah. And getting Fantastic. to bite every cast from a skimmer. What are the what's the stamp on there? They look sort of four to six ounce. Yeah, this small. You know, uh, you, you need uh, sixty or seventy fish for twenty pound. Uh, Busy day. This this week I had eighty eighty skimmers for thirty. Pound, you know, a bit better stamp than normal. Not bad, eh? Not bad on a on a commercial water. No, and, you know, no. Tuesday I'll open. take you one day. Lovely. I'd love to, Darren. There you go. We'll hold you for that. Yeah. No. Brilliant. Good. Well, that's um, that that's opened my eyes a wee bit, and it may, it does make sense how you you just you organically sort of fell out of it because you're getting these big river matches that just sort of happen to be mm. taking up your weekends, and it and it and it sort of fell out of it, I guess. We did have a decline, though, in the turnouts on commercials. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was like... But the more that open, the more the anglers get thinned out. Well, may, maybe. There's, there's, so, there's so many venues, though, so pe people think, oh, I'll try this new venue, or I'll try that new venue. Then mm. all of a sudden, there's not so many there. But there was a big increase in, like, natural water anglers at the same time. Yeah. 
you know, so, and like, the, the, the trend is massive nowadays, but a lot of it's to do with the access. You know, you go to Burton Joyce, you go on the tidal trend. I know. It's, I know. Uh, Newark, you park at your peg as well. That's what people want. I joined Newark uh, this year for that very reason, because I was floating around on a couple of different clubs on different stretches, and then when I found, I thought, Newark's the nearest water to where I live, and every stretch you can, uh, you know, weather permitting on some of them, granted, but near enough every stretch, in good weather, you can park behind your peg. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely, it just opens your eyes up. What do you say to these people, um, and you've sort of alluded to, actually, a minute or two ago, but when you said, just do what you enjoy. But what do you say to these people that say about, you know, natural fishing is, is, is proper fishing and no, commercial no, I, is just I don't a, agree a with load of rubbish? No, because I've done it all. Every type of angling is very, very skillful. You know, and I, you know, and I, I don't just mean match fishing. I mean, you, you, you can get into your, your carp fishing, your game fishing, your sea fishing. Yeah. You know, but in match fishing, you've got feeder fishing, pole fishing, waggler fishing. But every part of it, whether you're fishing for carp or whether you're fishing for bleak, you know, the, the, the best anglers will always be the best at it. And those who put the most time in, you know, and the most practice and the most prepared. You know, it, everything is so, you know, you, you can make it as skillful as you want to be. Yeah. You know, and like, but you can just turn up on a match and still win. You know, anybody, anybody can win. That's the beauty. It's just the reason why I ask, I seen some, some weights the other day that were pretty crazy. It was down at um, a water down in the southwest called Todba Manor. And I want to Yeah, the weight's cut between sort of four fifty, five hundred pounds. Now that's not for me. More to the point, I couldn't be asked to be honest. Um, oh, oh, I've knackered. never caught that many fish. No, I've never, I couldn't be bothered. I'd just be too knackered. I'd be, you know, it's just too much for me. But I can't take away from the skill that's that's necessary to put that type of weight together. I can't, I wouldn't knock it. Uh, when you look on the on the social media and you see what people are, oh, it's not fishing, that's just hook a duck and this, that and the other. And I don't know, I just, I think those comments are unfair. It, it is unfair because to catch, to catch 400 and 500 pounds of carp, it, it, you have got to be very skillful. You know, like you don't knock anybody who catches 20 or 30 pounds of bleak or 100 pounds of chub yeah. who have probably caught more fish than these mm -hmm. carp anglers. Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't knock them. It's everything's skillful, and each to their own. It's whatever you enjoy. I agree, you I know, agree. And that's what puts bums on seats and people on the bank. Yeah, and money into the industry and, and yeah. you know, protection and all the rest of it as well. I, I, I agree. Okay, let's uh, let's track back a little bit then, back to the to the team fishing and, and back to Starlet's a wee bit. So yeah. we've said um, you're the captain of Starlet's with Mark Downs, being the manager, if you like, and yes, I guess yes. that is now replicated with England in in some respects, as he's the manager and you're now assistant, if you like, or the coach of the of the yeah. England team. How how did how did all that come about? Was that a case of again organically? You was you was well known as the captain of Trentman, so it was you was in a good position to take on Starlet. So how does that work? Yeah, well, I was. All, uh, I say I'd, I'd been the team captain with uh, Trentman. And I joined Starlets in 2010, like I said, and we won the Trent National Trent in the National. first year. Yeah. 
Uh, and we obviously fish a lot of team matches together with Starlet. You know, we used to have super, super leagues, winter leagues. We fish a census challenge. We go abroad to France every year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Mark, Mark has a lot of uh, responsibility with the England team. Mm. Uh, and I'm sure it was one of these times when he'd be away on international duty and he'd probably ask me to select the team or you know sort an hotel or whatever yeah and uh and all of a sudden uh, it felt like i was doing it all the time and I, <laughs> I never i never ever was officially asked to be the the captain or take over anything or you know it, it just happened it, it, yeah. it just grew on me yeah, and uh, but but I accepted the responsibility and the role. I always say Mark is still the manager. It's still Mark's team. Yeah. He's had it since he was a uh, oh a youngster, young man. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but you know, it's it's not a big deal for me to pick a team or book a hotel or, or debate or you know decide on tactics. Whatever you do as a team captain, I, I can take it in my stride. Uh, you know, but I do ask for help off other people as well. You know, you do need to delegate occasionally. Can you start seeing yeah. then who would take over from you? Do you see those skills in people? Uh, yeah, I'd like to think so, but uh, at the at the moment, uh, I, I feel like I'm stuck with it in a, in a way. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just wondering because you would naturally sort of, you know, you you, you spot talent. In terms yeah. of picking a team, do you, do you spot the same talent for organisation, oh, yeah, tactical yeah. mouse? Yes, yeah, yeah. People help you. Like even our, some of our newest standards, like Lee Wright, who you interviewed the other week, he could be a team captain at Starlets in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what you have, have to remember is a lot of people don't want to do it. You know, like, everybody's got other responsibilities in their life. You know, they've they've got stressful jobs. You know, they've got young children, some people. They might might even have rocky marriages or or they're too loved up and they don't want to do anything. Yeah. You know, so it's... uh, uh, It's not something that I mind doing, if you don't... How do you you go about... um uh, we're starting to go on tangents here now, which is great because you're answering stuff and then questions are popping in my mind. So this is good because now I'm thinking, how do you go about dropping someone? How does that oh, work? Do you know? Now nah, then, no, we don't have as many team matches now as we ever used to. Uh, my main problem is not dropping somebody, it's, it's begging someone to fish in the team. Uh, you know, when we fish mm. on the River Saw Winter League, it's teams of 10. Yeah. Everybody likes to do their own thing. And I, I don't knock them for that. You know, people want to fish the River Y Winter League. They might, mm. you know, yeah. individual or the River, I don't know, other River, River Trent matches, or they might have a commercial league. You know, so, so sometimes I'm, I'm having to, like, beg people, I, I, I have to like cajole them, I, I, I sometimes have to shout at them and tell them <laughs> they've got to fish, yeah. you know, everybody's different, uh, uh, so, so in, in the club team fishing, you know, it's not such a big problem, uh, obviously for a big match like the national where there's a yeah. lot of people, 
practicing you do have to drop people exactly uh, and to be honest i would always pick the phone up and speak to them and say yeah, you know i've picked the team and you're not in it and I'd, I'd explain why i'd have a good reason uh some people say you don't have to tell them but i i, I you know I, I do like to tell them do you base it on practice pardon do you base it on practice well, it, it depends on the venue you're on, doesn't doesn't it? Because you, you 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 do have some really good experienced anglers, especially in starters, like probably most of them or half of them international anglers. So I mean, how do you go around? To, to, how do you tell someone like Sean Ashby's draft? <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> it's not a problem with Sean, <laughs> you know. But like, but some people are more delicate. Mm. Uh, you know, so you, you do you do have to put a caring arm around people sometimes. Yeah. You know, when like you know, you, you do have to be really really nice to some people, and like I say, you have to swear at other people, and uh, you know, be, be be a bit harsh. Yeah, you know, everybody's different. You know, it's sort of like you know, man management. You know, you got you got to know the personality of the person. Yeah. And I guess with over over the years, from the Derby through to Trentman, and now it's you know it's second nature, and everybody has that respect for you as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> A lot of people won't as well, but uh, yeah, especially all the teams. You know, it's like they always used to say about Mark Downs, didn't they? Love him or hate him. They used to have the angling times. Used to give you box stickers for that. I <laughs> Mark Downs. I love Mark Downs. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, crikey. Yeah, I'm sure it's water off a duck's back for him as well. You've got to have thick skin to, to do the job that he does. No, it's I, interesting. I think you're right there. You must have thick skin sometimes. Yeah. You know, but, but, but even team captains, some, sometimes they can have the delicate moments. Do you, mm. you know, you know, it's like everybody suffers with a little bit of stress, don't they? And pre- pressure in their life. Yeah. You know, but, but uh, as, like I said, I've, I don't seem to mind pressure. I could handle it. Well, that then brings me on to coming right up to recent times, the the whole England setup. So, um, tell us how that came about. So, you you mentioned about the 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 Dutch tutor, and if you like, and Pudmore for the Fishermania International. Yes, yeah. Developed uh, from there. I believe it developed from there. Uh, uh, when Mark first asked me if I'd help him to coach. It was actually on the banks of the the international match at uh, at Cudmore for mm. Shemania. Uh It was to go to France with the under twenty threes at the time, yeah. uh, and it, and he only gave me a few days' notice, and I couldn't get any time off work at all, so I had to decline. How do you and manage it, that? How do you do all these commitments, team fishing? You're in all indiv- your own individual fishing as well as having a you know a full time job. It must be tough. It is. I work for Rolls Royce, and I get some time off with what is known as international representation. Ah, okay. Yeah, they can give me a week to go away, one country or another country, because uh, I still have a family, and I still go on family holidays as well. But yeah. like, match fishing does take up a lot of my time and my my whole year. You know, because when I'm not match fishing, I'm a- I'm actually thinking about it or preparing or uh, organising. Mm. You know, so like the got a good missus as well. Then that's for sure. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Dickerton, I call her. 
I think everybody, everyone <laughs> at the top of their game has to have a, you know, a good woman. <laughs> to, yeah, definitely. But so okay. So yeah, works works. Uh, you know, is helpful. Yeah, good wife, yeah, good family. But, but, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Mark asked me uh, officially for the first time if I'd go with the under twenty threes in two thousand and sixteen. It was. Uh, I'd only been on World Club Championships prior to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, actually, for she myself, uh, once when we won the Trent National in 1992, we fished the Ostelato Canal in Italy. Yeah. Uh, that was with Nottingham District Federation of Anglers. I also fished with Starlets when we won the Trent National uh, in 2000. Uh, it must have been 2012 we won the Trent National. Because it was 2013, we went to uh, the World Club Championships on the Canale uh, Bayern in Italy, uh, in Benito. Uh, so, come 2016, we actually went to Carouche as I was the assistant coach. Portugal was, yeah, Carouche in Portugal, the Via Savaya. Uh, yeah, 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, and we had we had a great time. We got the tactics absolutely perfect. Is it still all sticky, Mag, and all those tactics? On no, there, or no, all changed? no, because it was all sticky, Mag, and Barbell on the Waggler. Yeah. And while we were there, there was there was so many Carasio moved into the match length, and we've got a method to catch them on the pole uh-huh. uh, with, with with ground bait and sticky, Mag, mm-hmm. uh, and like it was a pole match, and we. On the first day, we won easily. Uh, and on the second day, I, f- I think we come second, the point behind the Italians. Mm. But we won the World Championships uh, quite convincingly. And we had the, the, and we had the individual World Champion with uh, Alex Clements. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was my first Smashed time it. coaching. Yeah, and I've, I've got a gold medal. So I, I was well chuffed. Uh, I thought this is easy. Balance some of it. How did you yeah. take it? How did you work out it was going to be a pole match? Did you work that out pretty quick? No, no, no. Because uh, uh, it's a four-man team in the uh, under twenty phase. It's the under twenty-five now, so you only get four days training. Mm-hmm. And on the first two days, we weren't very, we weren't very good before TV some barbell on the waggler, you know, an odd barbell on the pole. And then uh, we noticed other teams catching Carasio. But the feeding was so important. And, w- and we actually, we, we just nailed it on the last practice day. And we were so confident. Okay, you know, so but, yeah. like, but, but sometimes, you know, you can be too confident. And um, we thought, oh, this is easy. Yeah. And, uh, and come match days, it, act- it actually was. Yeah. You know, and like, you, know, and, you know, we all had to stand on the podium and like, <laughs> the Queen was blasting out, we are the champions. And <laughs> we, we've, all, we've all got a gold medal round the necks and then we have to play the national anthem. It is absolutely amazing for anyone who wants to get into that style of fishing. You know, any, any youngsters and all, all that and or any older ones really who... who Fancy a crack at any type of international fishing. Well, I have a theme throughout these podcasts. Pretty much, not all, but 90% of them have an international theme to them because, in my eyes, 
um, it is the ultimate accolade. I would swap a 50 grand Fishermania check to represent my country any day. So it's 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 just one of those things that's cropped up. But I think it probably started because on episode two was, was Tommy, um, so it was just a natural thing to talk about when he won. Oh, and, right. and, and it just spiraled from then. You know, I did a podcast with Rob Hughes, and we ended up talking about, obviously, carp fishing, um, yeah. international fishing. And it just spiraled from then. I mean, for me, probably the best one was, was chatting to Ian Eaps because it's just something magical about that era and the way that he won his gold medal and so yeah i mean I, I i get sort of goosebumps just thinking of what you just said you know the national anthems blaring you've got your medal right he must have been proud as punch oh unbelievable unbelievable and uh, I've, I've actually i've actually been on 10 world and european championships now mm-hmm. uh including two i fished individually as a world club championship yeah. You know, so in, in, in a few years, I I'm just seem to seem to be doing everything. It's, uh, <laughs> but but I, I really do, really enjoy it, and I love the work. You know, the prior preparation. You know, and and it's very very hard work while you're away. You know, people imagine. might people might think it's glamorous. It's not glamorous. It's very very hard work. But but the rewards are there when you do well. I want to pick your brains then on something here now. Um, because and, and it's something that I'm covered off. There's another section of this podcast called the Press Pack, where I look at what's going on online and in the magazines and whatnot. And I'm going to cover this off where um, I think some very, very unfair comments. So you know the England feeder team has just been to Yes. Pass. They were only given like two, three days notice to get out there with all the kit and obviously then to get the bait ordered and prepped and everything. And, and, and to... To be fair, and, you know, Dean, is, the manager's all his hands up and said, we got it wrong, fair enough. But they have been bombarded, they've been slated online by, I don't know, keyboard warriors, nobodies, I'm not, I'm not sure. But what you've just said there is that the preparation, the hard work that goes into it, I mean, can you expect a team to just turn up two days before, uh, you know, been told two days before to turn up and do really well? I'm not too sure. Oh, no, it, it, it's, it's it's difficult, isn't it? When you have you you haven't got that amount of preparation time, you know the the, the team would have done the very best in the circumstances, obviously. Yeah. But what what you do have to remember, I don't know where they come. I can't remember. Was it seventh? Yeah, it was. It was fifteen teams and the fifteen best feeder anglers feeder teams in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not given anymore. You know, it's. Uh, it, it, it is difficult to win abroad, you know, in international fishing. You know, on a lot of venues, uh, it don't matter whether you're the feeder team, uh, the veterans team, the youth team, the nations team. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to venues, you're fishing for fish that you never, ever see in England. You know, so, some of the catfish you catch, uh, the, the, the grundles, the uh, gobies, you know, and I... They're the ones where the spikes go in your hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pass on chat. Uh, you know, you're fishing for fish that you don't catch in England and you never fish for. You know, and so, some of these teams, you know, they had, they had, they'd have had a week extra practice than the uh, England feeder team. Yeah. You know, and it's a very, very fine line there between success and failure. You know, everybody is getting better and better. And yeah. it is harder and harder to win. It's, it's amazing these. when you see some of them. 
Yeah, you've seen the Eastern Europeans and the, you know, unbelievable the Germans as well, and the Hungarians. The way that they've come on over the last ten, fifteen years is crazy. So, what, what, what about the the the, the facts that we lack matches, whether it be float fishing or feeder fishing, for those SIPs rules here in the UK? Do you think that that's got merit, and we should be having more events like that? I think it makes a massive impact and detriment to the the international teams. Uh, we, we should have more of these matches, but uh, you know, and, and Bloodworm and Joker, uh, there is availability, but it, it, it's where we could stage them and how many people will turn up. Mm. Uh, the the biggest match of the year, really, I, I would say, is the Census Challenge final. Yeah. That is, uh, it's been traditionally on the Gloucester Canal for the last few years. Yeah. It's a challenging venue. It's a fair venue. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there's lots of people catch very little, but there's lots of people that catch a lot. But it's very, very technical fishing, mm-hmm. you know, for that kind of uh, uh, championship. You know, it's... It, Oh, people love it. A lot of people say to me that is the highlight of my year. Obviously, mm. we haven't had it for the last two years because of uh, yeah, uh, COVID, COVID yeah. restrictions. Uh, but uh, this this year, uh, or next year, should I say now, it's always in uh, end of March time. <laughs> yeah. It should be on, hopefully. But, but yeah, we, d- we do need uh, some more of them matches years ago. Uh, I, I fish bloodworm every weekend in the winter. I did as a kid. Yeah. It was yeah. it was it was yeah. it was a given. Got my local tackle shop. Yeah, I'd yeah, say to yeah. them on a on a Monday, I'd ring them up, say, give us a a match pack of bloodworm and joker for the for the Saturday, for ready for Sunday. It was a fiver for for the two. And it wasn't wasn't unaffordable. Um, like no, everybody no, used to no, think, no. it was really expensive. No, 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 that 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 is a myth. To be honest, I yeah. believe because. Uh, for for your price of your bloodworm joker, if you was going on a, uh, I don't know, a, a big canal match, you might you might take half a kilo of worms, a couple of bags of ground bait, a pint of casters, a yeah. pint of maggots, you know, and, and twenty quid, and, and it's no more expensive. Blood, uh, ten pounds worth of bloodworm and joker is often enough for a match. You know, I still fish it to. Allcroft in the winter. I love going to Allcroft now, uh, catching skimmers and, and roach. You know, and you need very little bait, bloodworm and joker, to get a good weight. You yeah. know, and, uh, and and they're popular matches as well. People do love that. Uh, you know, and there's like, I don't know, but maybe 20-something teams of four. You know, so it's 80, 80-something people uh, enjoying this bloodworm and joker fishing for six or eight rounds in the winter. Yeah. So and that's what we need more of to, as we're back to the point around around the international scene, I guess. It's a it's a tricky one, but I think mm. the more that we can try and, and, and get these events, then it obviously puts us in good stead. We can nothing we can do about those species, absolutely. You know, we're not gonna all of a sudden get a load of these um vimbers and all the rest of it over here. But um certainly in terms of using the baits and, and feeding in the style that perhaps the continentals do. In fact, that's an interesting line to go down. Let's talk about bait a little bit because it's well known that continentals have been using and mixing ground baits and additives and things like that for, you know, nigh on 50 years. Do you think we're still way far behind? I mean, obviously, census starlets are sponsored by census, so you use 
a continental ground bait style. What's your thoughts on our, on our our bait knowledge over here? Well, uh, that's correct. We are sponsored by Census, and I use Census ground bait all the time. Uh, but I, I'm a firm believer in keeping everything very, very simple. There's okay. not many ground baits that I actually use. Uh, you know, like if I want a very light ground bait, I'll use surface. A medium, I'll use, say, lake. And an heavy mix, I'll use river. And you can mix them all together and, and get a good consistency. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think pe pe people worry too much about what ground bait they're using. You know, maybe sometimes the colour's important. Like, but for, for the same ground bait, you can mix it so many different ways. You can have it like very dry, very wet, or medium. You know, and you can make it do what you want. And like, I'm not too sure about additives in a way. You know, I think I think some people worry too much about what they are actually using. You know, and like, it's it, simplicity is the thing uh, for most match fishing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the same with additives. If it, if it gives you confidence, then use it. If not, then, you know, don't bother. But do you think that that worry detracts away from the presentation, from the actual approach to the match? Uh, I've, never, I've never worried about it myself, to, to be honest, mm. because uh, I've never been in a situation where I'm not happy with what I'm using. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but like, if, if, if you ground baits, Right, and you're happy with your presentation, then you should you should be catching fish, shouldn't you? Yeah, of course you, you should. So. No, it's interesting, and I just I just thought I'd ask because it's always you know it's it is levelled out that sometimes the feeding and the and the bait shoes and that knowledge of of mixing is is an advantage to the continentals as well. Yeah, feeding is very very important, probably more so than presentation. Because if you're not got the fish there to feed you, you don't matter how you present it, does it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know. But like you know, with the international style fishing, with your initial mixes, it, you know, it's it, it's it's often more about how much soil or uh, lean you put in your ground bait, or how much joker, or mm. how many dead maggots and casters. It's quantities a lot of the time, you know, rather than a special secret ground bait mix. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that as well. Whenever I watch any read or watch any videos, whatever, Alan Scott, on example, you know, he measures everything in terms of his quantities. You know, it will be he'll use a little pint pot. There's ship as well. He's the same. They're always using little, you know, I'll use a pole cup and I know that there's 250 mil of chopped worms gone in there. I know 250 mil of even like micro pellets, you know, even with their commercial mixes, it's everything's measured in quantity. It must have been that international practice, I guess. Yeah, I, I actually measure everything. You do you as know, well. Like, like I, I, when I was next to you on the River Saw uh, a few weeks ago, I, I got two bags of ground bait, mm. just put them in a bowl, and I knew it took exactly 1.6 litres of water <laughs> in one day to mix Brilliant. that ground bait. Wow. You know, and I, and I knew that if I needed 100 ml of casters and 100 ml of amp and 100 ml of pinkies in that mix, mm. and I got the 100 ml measure to do it. Because yeah. you could actually buy official measuring pots, you see. You have to use them on the World Championships. You know, some people have several sets and they go from an eighth, quarter, half, three quarters and a full litre. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and, I, and I think everybody should buy them. You know, so when you're in a team competition and you say to your mate, 
oh, today I used 1.6 litres of water in this mix, you know, and he can do it, and then you can say, got it. Well, I think actually that might have been too much water. Today we'll try 1.5 and make it a slightly lighter mix. Yeah, yeah. You know, rather than saying, oh, I added a little bit more or a little bit less, or I added a handful of joker, I can say, I put exactly 250 mil in. Very specific, you know, and, and, yeah. And then if you think it's too much for the next match, you can take some out. You know, because there's, there's, well, none, there's none of this handful of this and handful of that with me. It's all exact. Yeah. I'll have to, if I'm going to be a successful team angler, I better start sorting the measurements out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing about team yeah, team. You absolutely. can tell them exactly, exactly what you've done. How yeah. much ground bait you fed at the start, how much yoke you fed at the start, how many casters. You can't do that with guessing, can you? Guessing. No, and, absolutely and it, not. And it, and it saves a lot of work and time, you know, and practicing. All right, and so let's come up to, um, I guess, future plans, really. Is, you know, you've explained where we're at nowadays and, and, and the type of angling that you're enjoying. So, And, you, and you've said you're enjoying the, the international stuff. So what are the plans for, for Darren Bickerton going forward? Oh, well, I do love team fishing. That is my main driver whether it is with Starlets or with the England team. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, I want to carry on with Starlets, uh, you know, as, as the captain under, under Mark's management. Yeah. And at the moment, I want to carry on with the England team as the assistant manager under Mark's guidance. I think he's grooming me. Uh, for, in the for best when possible he, way, of course. In the best possible way for when he retires. Because Mark is actually quite fit for his age, you know, mid-60s and mm-hmm. like but he will not do it forever. Uh, and it, it is my plan or hope or, or wish that, that when he does retire, to be able to take over. So could uh, I be talking to the future England senior, you know, the full England team manager? I'd, I'd like to hope so. Uh, but, but if Mark ever did retire, uh, uh, I suppose the Anglian Trust would do an interview type process course, uh, yeah. for applicants. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, I'll have a good CV to present, and uh, you know, and present me myself for, uh, to be to be the next manager. You Absolutely. Know. So we'll, we'll just wait and see. That, that's yeah, no, we, we think there's probably a few more world championships in Mark. I imagine, anyway. So Def- it's, definitely, uh, definitely. This is all experience building up. So what what's the plan then on on this journey? So where are we? Um, for the England float fishing team this year, when, when you're going to be going next week, was it? Did you say? Yeah, the the team will all arrive on Wednesday uh, in Italy. It's on the Mincio River, and okay. uh, it's near Verona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big river that that comes off. Uh, it, it it comes out of Lake Garda. Ah, yes. Yeah, uh, and traditionally it used to be very. Uh, very weedy and lots of chub uh, but Lake Garda has actually had a, a bit of a problem in the last year or so with uh, weed uh, they've been trying to kill the weed mm-hmm. uh, which has also killed the weed in the river which has made most of the chub disappear ah. uh, so you know it was touch and go whether we were going to use the Mencio River or the reserve venue uh, uh, a small canal called Canal Bianco, uh, but it is now definitely on the Mincio River. 
uh, it's, it's, it's been very varied fishing. You know, like there'll be like seven meter bolo. Well, the nose rods, I'm thinking, yeah, big deep yeah, river. Yeah, yeah, very, very clear. You can see the bottom very mm. far down. Uh, there'll be waggler fishing, sliders. There, there should be some pole fishing. Uh, the the local, uh, well, the Italians have been stocking the river. Uh, you know, hopefully to make it a really good match. Because any time you go fishing in Italy, they want to make it a spectacle. Yes. You know, they they want to make it good for the fans. They want to make it good for their team, and they want to make it good for all the teams that are competing in the championship. Fantastic. So, what do we think um, our chances are? Well, to to be honest, I mean the ven- the venue is actually open now, but uh, the official practice day starts a uh, week on Monday. Uh, there's, there's five practice days because it's a five-man team mm. and the actual championship is on uh, the Saturday and Sunday. So we, we will not really know what the fishing is like, you know, f- until a day or two uh, into the official practice. Uh, if it's really good fishing, I think it suits us. Mm. You know, the, the better the fishing is, I, I think we, we, we can sort it out. So, who is the travelling squad? Right, well, the, tra- the travelling squad is, uh, we've got some really experienced anglers and we've got some young anglers as well okay. that are coming through. You know, you, you've got Will Raisin and he's travelling with Rory Jones, mm-hmm. who, uh, I mean, Will's a, a world and European champion. Uh, and Rory is now the number one ranked under 25 in the old world. <laughs> you know, so yeah. uh, they're travelling partners. And we've got Steve Hemingway, and he's travelling with Sean Ashby. And Steve's a European champion individual, and and, and Sean's a former world champion. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and then you've got Matt Godfrey, he's, he's travelling. Ah, so, re- yeah, I'm really going for the young ones with Matt and Rory then, yeah? And he's yeah. with well, um, Alan he, again? He's with, no, he is with Matt Derry. Ah, Okay. You know, and like Matt's been like sort of, a, I don't know how many times, at least three times, a youth world champion. Yeah. Uh, and and the other ang- angler is uh, Cameron Hughes. Oh, he is so amazing. Ah, he is one of the best anglers in our area. And he's still only 30, uh, less than 30, I'd say, about 30. Yeah. Um, you know, and his dad's travelling as well, Nathan. Yeah. Absolutely awesome angler, and and Matt Derry's dad's coming with us as well, Mark. And there's and there's obviously me and Mark Downs. Uh, there's no Alan this year because he he's qualified for two big finals. That's uh, right. I remember he had a bit yeah. of a conflict as to which way he was going to go. I see. It, it, it was, and I I think he's golden real or something. Isn't it? Or I think he's in. I think he's in a couple. I think he's golden real he, and he made the match. This yeah. That's Correct, that's the one. But to be honest, I'd, you know, Alan decided, you know, and he's still one of the most respected anglers in the whole world. Mm. But we, we we didn't think we were going on a world championship, and I'm, I'm sure Alan never, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, that's why he went into all these qualifiers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and not, with, with COVID restrictions this year, nobody knew what was going to happen. No. You know, even, even now, you have to self-isolate for five days upon arrival in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've had a, an exemption from the Italian government as right. international sportsmen. 
yeah. you know, so so we don't have to self-isolate. But, like, we often have a travelling uh, England fan club. Mm. But yeah. at the moment, if they come, they, they've got to self-isolate. self-isolate. You know, and, and all the rules change on the 30th of August, whether it's for better or for worse. We don't know. Yeah. You know, so we, we don't know if we're going to have, like, the normal support on the bank. You know, uh, as you'd normally get in the World Championship. But there'll be many Italians on the bank. Of course there will, yeah, for sure. I can't. I didn't realise that the team was so um, such, such a mixture of, of sort of youth and experience. Uh, that's that's really interesting. I know a couple of these lads have done, you know, some of the European bits and pieces. And I know yeah. Matt's been around the squad for for a while, uh, and Matt, Matt yeah. well, both Matt should I say Matt Godfrey and Matt Derry. But that's a really interesting sort of blend of youth and experience. So it's. You're the you're the conduit because you would have had some of them lads, Rory, in your youth squad, I guess. Yeah, Rory Jones. Yeah, he was uh, he was in my squad, uh, well, the England squad, for many years. As a, he started as under fifteen, I think it was, in the yeah. tour. No, might have been under sixteen. He must have fished eight world championships. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like, like Matt, Matt Godfrey's the same. Matt Berry's the same. Cameron Hughes is the same. They're all young ones, but they're young ones. This, they've got so much experience at the moment. And what you've got to remember now, with international fishing, you know, and, and, it, and it showed it up in Serbia in 2019, the last match that we fished, the last world championship we fished yeah. because of COVID restrictions. You, sh- you should have seen the podium. Everyone's 20 years old. Wow. You know, it's like the, the world champion, Alan Perko, I'm fishing against, well, he's fishing in the under-25 team. Uh, mm. uh, and uh, Alexander Cordan from France. And uh, there's another young one from France. I can't, I can't even remember who it was. Uh, oh, Maxime Duchesne. You know, like they're, they're, all, they're all in the 20s. Yeah. You know, not catching a fish every cast. <laughs> you know, and, and it's... It's got to help. Obviously, yeah. they're not as experienced as a forty or fifty year old. Yeah. But 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 in some some venues, uh, age is a, a factor. I think you know to have age on your side, you know, and, and it, it's a very very tough environment. You know, a world championship. Mm. You know, with all the training and the the the, the preparation and. It, it takes it out of you. It does. I can imagine. Sure I does. can imagine. Yeah, it's, it's the mental strength. That's the, yeah, yeah, the physical yeah. strength. And I, I think that's probably where age does come in because you've, if you've got that experience, you can handle that pressure a little bit better. But like you say, physicality, if you've got to whack out 400 bike, um, you know, there's yeah. no getting away from the fact that a 20-year-old is going to be a lot quicker than a 50-year-old. So, yeah, I'm really excited now to find out how we do. And under... Again, strange conditions and strange circumstances, but as you know, and you'll be there, we'll be trying as best. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we'll, we'll, we'll try and uh, put some information on uh, social media. To yeah, keep, that'd be uh, great. You know, people informed of, you know, what's happening, and uh, obviously we'll do all the results. So you, you can't go into too much about ground, mate. No, of course not. Obviously. The, yeah, yeah. I'll give the game away. But no, that's great. That's, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, you know, big well wishes from me and, and, and all the best. And I, and I guess really that is pretty much me done and dusty. But I did have one question from my old mate Tom. 
you don't mind me asking you a question from one of the listeners. Yeah. And uh, his question was, what does Darren think was or is his greatest achievement in angling? Oh, oh dear, dear. I, I could answer that, and I often answer that to people by saying, by enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and I think that is that is really, really important. Yeah. You know, I, I have I have won some big matches. It's hard to say. Uh, this, uh, oh, I, I've won. I've won. Like I said, I've won the Camasan British Open twice. Mm. Uh, really big matches. I've won an Evesham Festival. Uh, uh, and uh, the the last good year before COVID, uh, I even won a big festival in Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the very same year, and this must be one of my proudest achievements, to be fair, as Starlers, we won the European Census Challenge final in France. There we go. Uh, 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 128 teams of four. Wow. And uh, we won that quite convincingly. Uh, we've been like on the verge of the podium for 10 years, you know, like fourth, fifth, sixth place. Mm. And uh, the last time we fished it, and, and we're still the current champions because of COVID. Of course. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we won that. And, uh, and as a team, fishing with all your friends, mm. you've, you know, it, it's Sean's in the team, Mark Dan, Steve Hemingway and me, team of four. When you've tried for 10 years to win it and you've yeah. been so close, then all of a sudden you win it. So it's not just about the individual achievement, it's the team achievement when you're with your friends. Yeah. And that, I think, is probably my proudest. And, and I've got gold and silver medals in world championships. And I think that is the uh, proudest moment. That'll do for me. Absolutely fantastic. What a great way to wrap this podcast up and the big chat. So just the final thing from me then, Darren. Thanks for taking the time out. And, uh, and going through where you came from and your team career, so, so what your plans are for the future. So thanks a lot. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. For all your fishing needs, be sure to check out Fishing Evolution. Boasting two floors of branded displays, visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Okay, let's take a step inside to the tackle shed and have a little look at what's caught my eye um, in the printed press on social media across the web um, and in my local tackle shop as well. And I have to say, it's probably going to be a little bit short and sweet is this episode because there's not been that much that has inspired me really. Um, But there's been one or two things, of course. The first thing being in Angling Times this week, probably, I'm not too sure, but probably the most expensive feeder rod that I've ever seen certainly anyway I don't know that it's the most expensive feeder rod ever but the new Daiwa SLR range um 
He's coming to the market very soon. Designed by that fantastic uh, Daiwa team, uh, headed up with you know the likes of Will Raisin. Um, so the Daiwa Tournament SLR feeder range was launched a few years ago. Apparently, I, I remember seeing the name about, but when we're talking these price points, it's probably not something that I dive into. But there are many people that would do, and, and why not? If you can afford it, my advice always is, you know, buy the best that you possibly can. So if you've got a few quid and you want to spend this type of money on these types of rods, then then why not? I just simply don't fish at the level where I would need to use that. I mean, I have got some rods. I've got an Aerity feeder rod. I've got a, a tournament, an old tournament um, 12, 13 foot jobby. And, and, you know, they weren't cheap, but these rods are ranging between 480 and 560 pounds, uh, depending on which one you pick up. Um, Max Oye gives them a thorough run through. Um, I'm not going to talk about all the bits and pieces that he's, uh, that he's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a double page spread that he's he's reviewed, um, but the test verdicts at the end. So plus points, fabulously fluid fish playing action, high performance casting potential suits all types of feeders and fish species. The downsides is a nice bespoke tournament rod bag that can hold a reel would be nice at that price. And the quality of rods should come with four tips. So that's uh, Mark's pretty much bankside test verdicts he does go and say as well a stunning summer's morning and it's simply oozed class uh, and when you look at the alternatives in that uh, price point if you like um give you an idea so for the 11 foot two piece uh, slr which is probably what we tend to use commercials you know you get two tips one and a half ounce up to two and a half ounce 490 pound um slr 12 foot two piece a little bit more beefier, a bit more casting potential, 515, right the way up to the 14 foot, um, it, which is 560 pounds. And that comes in with a two, three and five ounce quiver tip. So it's obviously, you know, for those big tidal rivers, etc. But the Piccadilly alternatives, there's nothing in that bracket. The new Guru Aventus uh, distance feeder rod comes in at 425. So that's still way off this price point. Uh, Free Spirit, 389 pound. Preston Distance Master, 239 pound. So yeah, this is a, in a league of its own in terms of uh, price point. But the quality... Um, you can't go wrong, in my opinion, with Dio again. And if you can afford it, then why not? So that was the first thing uh, that caught my eye. Um, from the sublime to the uh, to the ridiculous, really, is uh, I mentioned many, many podcasts ago around uh, I bought a 30 quid uh, match rod and I was very impressed with it. It was a leader concept GT. Well, I was scanning around on eBay recently and come across a reel of the same um, same name. The GT concepts are 4,000 size and it was relatively cheap. I think I won it um, in the auction for about 18 quid. So I thought I'll give it a go. Let's see, see where we're at. Loaded it with my usual um Daiwa sensor i always use Daiwa sensor for, for my, my real lines for especially feeder fishing uh six pound and eight pound and i've not used it yet but i plan on giving it a bash pretty soon um i may marry that up with something like a 12 foot feeder rod maybe go down the river and um, do a little bit of maggot feeder fishing something like that, see what crops along so we'll see um and i'll let you know but if it's anything like the rod that i picked up for i think 39.99 it'd be a cracking piece of kit five ball bearings you know well made come with a spare spool what more can you ask for so yes i will be giving that a try very soon as i say if it's anything like the rod i bought looking forward to it
Something else that's caught my eye this week. So we have a new tackle launch from Matrix. Now they've launched a lot of gear under the guise of Horizon X, which is a, a you know one of the names of the um, the range of rods that they produced. Now I've already seen on social media, and I could could have talked about this in the press pack as well is there are some grumbles around the, the price points of these items as well. And, and I sort of get it because compared to um, their traditional luggage and, and items, this is quite significantly higher. And I'm not too sure what the difference would be in terms of quality until I get my hands on it. So I'll speak to the lads down at Fishing Evolution uh, when they get this kit in, which no doubt they will, and see if I can get my hands on just to see why they're charging these price points. So as an example, um, they've uh, launched a Horizon X pole hold-all, um, which looks like a double hold-all, um, top kit storage, six tube section, looks the part. It looks like a hybrid between a a hard kit case and a traditional hold all, if that makes sense. Now, this is coming in at £190, which is pretty expensive uh, for a hold all, but I, I see what they're trying to do. They're putting two products together in one. And when you think that those hard cases tend to retail for about £120 each anyway, then I, I see what they're, they're, where they're coming up with. But the Horizon X bait system, which is basically an EVA bag on top of another one, um, £75. Quid. I'm not even too sure that you get your bait boxes in there uh, supplied. They should be at that price. Uh, we've also got the Horizon XL storage bag, which is basically a roller bag. Um, can get a couple of their Matrix rollers in there. We're coming in at £70. Uh, you know, so I can see why people are turning the nose up, but traditional Matrix fans are thinking that this is out of their league. But knowing Matrix as they are, they tend to launch a number of different ranges uh, aimed at different price points. So the Ethos range, I always remember, was a little bit cheaper than the than the Aqueous range, etc. So it might be that that's the route that they go down. But, but when you take a look back and look at this new these new items, they do look a little bit pricey in terms of the luggage. A box there as well, limited edition, £750. Uh, a feeder tray, £120. However, there's a little range of rods, Ethos XRS, nice price points of around £140. Um, some nice new clothing, the 25K rated weather wear. Pretty standard, £130 for the jacket, £130 for the salopettes. So that's nothing out of the ordinary. But yeah, I mean take a look see what you think uh for me no preference i don't particularly have any matrix gear anyway but one thing i did want to highlight as well on this and i'm not too sure um whether people understand this but do we know that matrix and Preston innovations are owned by the same company i don't think a lot of people still understand that so they're owned by a company an american company um called rather outdoors and they made that acquisition um, not so long ago, towards the start of this year. So what you've got essentially is two brands that are, I guess they could cannibalize into their own sales, but I guess they want to keep those brands very separate. Um, there is loyalty on both sides. You know, you do get anglers that are loyal towards specific brands. I'm not really. I'll, I'll use a bit of everything. Um, but I see why some people do, because they... They like the look of products for a start, but also they like the feel and they know the consistency when they buy products from the same manufacturer. 
But let's just bear that in mind. And um, for those of you that don't know, is that Preston's and Fo uh, Fox Matrix are owned by the same company now. And that might have something to do with why Jamie Hughes moved from, I'm only speculating, but moved from um, spotted fin baits to Sonya Bates. Sonya Bates are part of Preston Innovations. If it was me playing devil's advocate, if I was a, an owner at Rather Outdoors and I saw my star angler using a, a products that are not part of my business and my chain, I would be asking why. And I'd be asking them to, you know, rip up that contract with um, Spotted Fin and be using our products, i.e. Sonya Bates. So that's how I can speculate that's what happened there. But um, who knows? Now, one thing I did notice in match fishing, page 66, um, quite interesting is this little Preston Innovations, funnily enough, a little off box side foot, it's called. Um, and this is one of those products that I really like and it is innovative, but I do not like the price. Um, so essentially, it's a little side plate to use when you're fishing down the margins um, and perhaps you have to swing around off your box. And once your feet come off your foot plate, all of a sudden you can become unbalanced and you struggle to hold your pole or you're, you're sort of balancing on your tiptoes is something that I do a lot of. But what this does is essentially allow you to add a, another foot plate to the side so you're not having those problems. Um, great little idea. I'm not too sure how heavy it is, what it weighs. Again, I'll ask the lads in my local shop, see if they're going to get any in so I can take a look. Um, but with a price point of £100, uh, for the amount of times that happens certainly for me um yeah i wouldn't invest but i guess if you're fishing a couple of times a week you're fishing down the margins a lot in summer i imagine it would pay for itself pretty pretty swiftly so yeah um so not loads and loads to go on in the tackle shed uh, this episode but a couple of things that uh, that caught my eye especially with the new ranges that are launched and a, a couple of thought provoking ideas um as well so that is the end of this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the big chat with uh, Darren Bickerton. I just wanted to say a big, big thank you for everybody that's been listening and uh, sharing and liking these podcasts. As I've said many times throughout this uh, these series, um, if it's not for people listening, there simply isn't a podcast whatsoever to do. And as long as you guys listen, as long as I can get the guests, then I'll continue doing these. I'm just a one-man band. Uh, with a lot to say um, up against some of these big tackle manufacturers who does something very, very similar to this also. So once again, thanks for listening and tight lines. <music>